Hello and you are listening to Scar Joe A Gogo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke and this week I'm talking about Chef. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scarjo go. Imagine that this podcast is in fact a vast restaurant catering to a wide variety of different tastes. The fussy, the overindulgent, the experts, the junk food addicts. Imagine that I am not a disembodied voice just magically appearing in your ears, but instead a master chef with a super tall hat and a really curly manly moustache and washboard abs and no shirt. And each week, I serve up a variety of meals. Because now you have to imagine that each show is a carefully prepared meal, not just a hastily recorded opinion piece. And some days I serve you a giant gourmet feast with a lot of rich flavors. And sometimes I serve you a greasy dollop of school cafeteria mystery meat. And sometimes when you sit there expectantly in my restaurant, banging your knife and fork on the table like an uncouth animal, I'm not ready to serve you a full meal at all. In fact, sometimes it's just going to be an appetizer. And in the case of Chef, where Scarlett would be lucky to have maybe 10 minutes of screen time, I am serving you just a bite. So you may want to stop and pick up some fast food on the way home. If under the skin was a king-size Mars bar, then Chef is just a fun size. But we're still going to give it a shot. But first, when we last left Scarlet, she had left her corporeal form to be a disembodied voice in her and still managed to deliver an incredibly moving and multi-layered performance and deliver her hottest sex scene ever committed to film. And that really is saying something considering that the lens cap was on the entire time. Which brings us to 2014, just last year. That's how pointy the pointy end is right now. And writer, director, and actor, he stars in this film as well. I'd say doing a Woody Allen, but you'd uh, probably think I was referring to something else. Uh, John Favreau. And what he's made here is a simple film. It's a slight film, really, but it does have a joyous energy and atmosphere about it. It does feel good to watch, even though, you know, to be honest, I think very little happens in it. And it's definitely a passion project for Favreau, or Favs, as I like to call him. Getting a little overly familiar with the Favs. And in a way, this almost feels like it was a bit of a enjoyable holiday experience for him. Like, this is Favs putting away the big-budget missteps of Iron Man 2 or Cowboys and Aliens and doing something that he wants to do and doing it with the people that he wants to do it with. 
And as part of that process, he gets to reunite with his former Iron Man 2 castmates, Scarlett Johansson and Robert Downey Jr., both of who he shoehorns into Chef in what are basically glorified cameos. So, really, I mean, what we've got to remember going into this is this is a film for Favs. And therefore, the perfect audience for this film is really Favs himself. And whether or not it really resonates with anyone else as much as it does for him is another question. But on the whole, I really enjoyed it as a straightforward, feel-good cooking adventure. I felt happy for Favs for making the film that he wanted to make. That said, that of course doesn't mean that I necessarily love what he has in store for Scarlet in this film. And of course, we're not here to review the film as a whole. We're here to look at the work of Scarlett Johansson as it continues to evolve. And we're here to dissect her role very specifically. So again, not going to give you a blow-by-blow description of this film. And when Scarlet exits, we're going to pretty much politely exit too. Although I will give you a bit of an indication of of what happens uh, for the rest of it. So let's get this thing rolling. We're going to turn on the oven. I'm going to take out all the ingredients. We're going to mix them all up together and see what we've got. Hopefully, some kind of marvellous cake. Could be just a bowl of shit. I'm not sure. We're going to find out. And the film begins with a black screen with a white title saying very simply, Chef, which seems to be a total indication of indie film time. Every time we've done that sort of small indie quirky think piece, black screen, white titles. Saving money straight away. That's dollars in the pocket. And we see a montage then of John Favreau, Fav's, cooking stuff in a very steamy professional kitchen. We see his meaty tattooed arms and fingers cutting vegetables and other food things. Fabs is immediately trying to sell us with this idea that he is indeed a goddamn believable chef. The titular chef of this film. He even butchers a pig, passing pieces to his uh, cooking bro, John Leguizamo. Leguizamo? Leguizamo, uh, who I think was paid in pork to do this role. Bobby Carnavali, Bobby C, I call him, uh, is his other cooking bro in the kitchen. He's also got that classic young son who's like 10 or 12 or something who he doesn't spend enough time with. What is with dads in movies? They always too busy with work, never have enough time for the kids. For that matter, what's up with dads in real life? Come on, dads. I know children are confusing, but get in there, dads, and give it a go. Oh, and his wife, his ex-wife, also happens to be the smoking hot Sophia Vergara. So this guy's got everything, right? Except for this dumb kid that keeps getting in the way. But otherwise, you know, you would think things are coming up fast. And uh, he's thinking of dropping his kid off at the restaurant because Molly is there. Now, Molly is the restaurant's hostess, and she is played by someone that might be particularly important to this podcast. Perhaps someone with the initials SJ. I don't want to give it away right now, but uh, I'm thinking already, this is our introduction to the Molly character, or uh, like at least the first reference to her. So Molly's the hostess, who's also the babysitter now, because you've got a woman working, you can just drop your kids off, does she get paid extra for that? What is going on? 
But Percy, who's the kid, great sign that Favreau doesn't particularly like this kid because he called him Percy. Uh, Percy insists that he goes shopping as well. He wants to spend some time with his distant dad. And, and Fav gives him life lessons. He tells him how wonderful fruit is. Fruit is good. If you don't learn anything else other than that from this particular podcast, then I really don't know why I've been wasting my time. Now, the premise is that a renowned food blogger, the biggest food critic blogger in the entire universe, is coming to review Fav's cooking tonight. So Fav's is really nervous. A chef, food porn, an opinionated critic. This film is essentially Ratatouille, but Fav's is the rat. The film has a kind of loose, improvised, natural feel to it for the most part. Everyone's just kind of chilling, doing their thing. You know, definitely, right from the beginning, it feels like people are enjoying themselves, they're getting into it. It's our passion project. And then, nearly six minutes in, hostess Molly makes an appearance, and can you believe it? She is none other than our very own Scarlett Johansson. Ladies and gentlemen, give her a hand. And there's definitely an attempt here to separate her from that classic blonde bombshell femme fatale movie star look. Uh, She has dark, long hair with a fringe. I know Americans don't say a fringe, even though it's kind of like a fringe. You know, that's a descriptive term, a fringe. Like this couch cover has a fringe around it, or a fringe of leaves. Americans would say bangs, and God knows where the fuck you got that from. What has bangs got to do with anything? You've got all this freedom, and this is what you do with it. Anyway, Scarlett, she's got dark eyebrows as well, very heavy red lipstick, uh, dark clothes with no sleeves, showing off tattoos on her shoulders. At this point, we can see two small star tattoos, one on each shoulder. She actually has more stars on the back of her shoulder that we see later. She's almost got a gothic Suicide Girls vibe, although she is dressed for work. There's a professional air about her and although this is like a big change it doesn't feel like oh this is Scarlett Johansson pretending to be this character I find it believable like I think the balance is right here they haven't gone too far in that sort of direction where it becomes really costumey but at the same time it does distance us from the A-list actor Scarlett Johansson it's a character I feel like this look very economically suggests a backstory for her, a kind of misfit outsider who has found a home here in the restaurant. This is a place that she loves. This is a place where she fits in. I also think from the look of her that she probably needs the money. And as the chefs bustle around and prepare, she interrupts with her very first line in the film, one of few lines in the film, which is Carl, Carl is Fav's, but he dismisses her with an abrupt, not now. Oh, okay, but you got plenty of time for her when she's babysitting your kid, right? She insists, she wants his attention because the owner is here and the owner is played by Dustin Hoffman, who isn't in this film a lot either, but does, you know, really do a great job with what he's got. He has a huge amount of presence, as you can imagine. And Scarlett is asked to stall Dustin Hoffman to stop him from coming in so that Favs can work. And what I felt already just this early on is, hang on, she's kind of John Favreau's babysitter here as well. She doesn't just look after his kid, she looks after him as though he is a kid. And we'll see more of that very soon. But um, 
Hoffman comes in. He's here basically to tell Favs not to change the menu and to deliver the regular stuff to the critic. Favs, he wants to show off. He wants to be all fancy. He wants to show what he can do. But no artsy shit, says Hoffman. So Chef Chef Favs, he's got to stick with the favourites. Just to go off topic a tiny bit, I do wonder, I think, you know, when it's a writer and an actor and a director, they obviously have something invested in this story, something invested in the message of the film. And John Favreau is not a chef in real life, but he is a director. He does create films instead of food. And I wonder, you know, how much of this is, is metaphorical. Is this Favs talking about, especially considering his last couple of blockbusters weren't massively successful or at least weren't critically acclaimed, is this Favs kind of lashing out? Is Dustin Hoffman representing the studios, the people that come in and say, hey, don't do artsy stuff, don't take risks, don't experiment, don't put too much of yourself into it. We want you to do the same thing that we know will sell. I mean, one is food, one is films, but they both start with F, and these are the kind of questions, these are the things that Fabs is obviously thinking about. We see Molly again in the briefing, Scarlet again in the briefing. He's telling everybody that they need to talk to her about wine pairings. She kind of sighs. I don't think it's that she's exasperated by him or the situation. I feel like she's anxious for him. She realizes what's at stake, and... What I find in this film is that Scarlett's character is almost like a kind of surrogate for Favs. Like, she's there to reiterate and reinforce what he's feeling and kind of be this extra support structure. If he's nervous, she's there nervous for him at the side. If he's happy, she's at the side happy for him. She's a glorified mood ring. And this support thing is, is really clear. Like, um, she stands there in the back. She's dressed in black. She's behind a lineup of white chefs. I feel like this is an Imperial officer surrounded by stormtroopers. She's Fav's right-hand man, who is a woe man. Woe. And interestingly, we don't see the blogger come in and eat the food. Instead, we cut to them all celebrating afterwards. Molly sharing drinks with them in the bar. She's on one side of the bar. She's serving, though. She's drinking, too. And all the chefs are on the other side, all in their casual clothes, and they read the review on Fav's phone. But, yeah, still a support role here. I mean, she's pouring the drinks from behind the bar. She smiles in close-ups and is happy for him as the review seems quite positive at first. But as the review rapidly sours, so does her mood, and now we get close-ups of her being concerned for him. So again, she's really just mirroring what his character is feeling. Uh, Best line of the review, though, by the way, and I think it's probably the best line in the movie, is the critic's uh, comment that his dramatic weight gain can only be explained by the fact that he must be eating all of the food sent back to the kitchen two stars i do think that's pretty sharp writing so then we cut to a two shot of favs and scarlet they're sitting in the car park at night presumably straight after this bar sequence 
He puffs on a joint. He's got a very defeated look on, on him. And she's got that look of concern again. She's sitting close to him in a way that suggests perhaps they're more than work colleagues. Her head is sort of cocked, turned in his direction. Um, her black jacket's open to reveal a sheer pink top underneath, which we can see a black bra through. Uh, very hard to miss. That's not just me looking for bras. I'm not a bra hunter. It's hard to miss because it's the only warm color in the shot. It's the only real sort of bright color in the shot. And that is a reminder of her sexuality and, and sort of who she is to him. And I said it before, I, this idea that is she his babysitter? And there is something kind of nurturing about her. And although the age difference is like he's 20 years older than she is, and um, their body language suggests that there has been some sort of intimacy. I almost felt that there was like this kind of motherly nurturing thing about her. And every moment so far that we've seen her, she has been there purely for him, reflecting his thoughts and feelings, backing him up, being there for him, doing what he needs her to do. She tries to console him, She's all, who cares about this? Who cares about a review? She shares the joint. Uh, so we get to see more Scarlett Johansson smoking, which is a trope in many of her films. She's playing it more sleepy-eyed and stoned than he is, in my opinion. And they don't talk about her. They don't talk about them. But they talk about him and his food and his beliefs and he what he wants. She's flirty, uh, there's eye contact. She assures him she's, he, that he's the best chef she's ever worked with. Again, if we go, is this about food or is this about film? Is this John Favreau making Scarlett say to him that you're the best director I've ever worked with after uh, Iron Man 2 was panned by everybody? I don't know. They look like they might kiss. They want to kiss. He leans in close. And she whispers hoarsely in that sort of husky, iconic Scarlet way, I thought we both agreed not to do this. Like, like suddenly she can't resist this powerhouse, John Favreau. And he says, why don't I just cook you something? And she's like, okay, fuck it, let's go. So we cut then to a montage of him cooking things in his apartment. And I guess now we get that sort of food as sex metaphor. It's the food that's the sexy thing here. This is what he's doing to impress her and, and to win her over and to bond with her. There's close-ups of the food while she reclines uh, quite sexily and watches him from... I don't know if she's on the bed or if she's on a lounge, but she's uh, smiling at him. It's quite a sexy shot. She's looking aroused by it all. Uh, she's wearing different clothes from before. Has she changed from work? Did she go home first? Does she have clothes at his place? Did they have sex? I'm not sure. It almost looks like she's pantsless, but uh, it might just be a short dress. There's one shoulder showing. I'm still not entirely sure how we're supposed to read the scene as to whether they hooked up or not, or whether really the food is the thing that's uh, driving her. I've read somewhere, I don't know where I read it, I googled it, couldn't find it, that uh, men are obsessed with porn and women are obsessed with food. Sounds like a sexist generalisation to me on both counts, but maybe Chef subscribes to that. Something I do think is interesting, though, is that they don't kiss on screen. 
And I think that was the right choice because when I first saw this film, I thought for a second then as they got closer that it was in danger of going into that Joseph Gordon-Levitt Don John territory, that idea of casting Scarlet in something that you wrote, directed and starred in in order to make her your love interest. And I feared that Favs was going to get physical with her. Try saying that five times fast. And although a relationship and an intimate relationship is referred to, we don't have to look at it. And she plays the role without being put in that situation with him physically. I think as well, when you look at the real people, when you look at Scarlett Johansson and you look at John Favreau, it's hard to imagine that there's that attraction there. He's 20 years older, he's put on a lot of weight. She was married to Sexyman Ryan Reynolds. But then, I think in the context of the story, I can actually imagine these two being together. There's something about the way her character looks, the way his character looks. Um, She's obviously really passionate about the restaurant. She's invested in it. She's invested in him and his talents. He's in a position of authority. I can imagine a girl that looks like that being seduced by a man that looks like that in that specific situation where they're they're working long hours, everything they're doing is tied up in this thing together. So, you know, perhaps it's not as outlandish as I initially thought. And then we only really see her again in one more sequence. And this is, you know, quite a bit down the track. Basically, what happens is... Favs has a Twitter spat with the critic, which goes viral. He doesn't know anything about Twitter because he's a big meathead. Uh, His son sort of introduces him to it, and he writes back a nasty response to the critic, which he posts publicly. Didn't realize he'd done that. And actually, his dude bro cook friends suggest that he doesn't know about Twitter because he gets too much pussy, which is kind of an ugly thing especially after the Scarlet scene. Are they referring to her? I'm like, don't talk about her like that, gentlemen. And I'm being very generous when I say gentlemen. So Favs, in an attempt to save face, basically challenges the critic to return to sample a new menu. He wants him to try the food that he really wanted to cook. You know, this is a bit of controversy about this. Scarlet interrupts the prep to try and talk sense into him, but he argues back. And she ends up very quickly smiling adoringly and supporting everything he wants to do again. Dustin Hoffman, the owner, he intervenes late in the game and says, Look, no, you cook the set menu instead. This is my restaurant, Fabs, you fucker. Cook the stuff that you normally cook. He didn't stumble over his words like I did, but he's a professional. He's a graduate. And while they're talking about this, Scarlet just stands back, watches it all. And we get the odd reaction shot from her that, again, reinforces that she's in full support of Favs. If Favs is pissed, she's pissed. If Favs is happy, she's happy. And Favs is pissed. Make no mistake. So he quits. He's out of there. No more restaurant. He heads home to cook his dream meal meal fucking can't talk, can I? I should edit it out, but I'm not going to. Because I don't want to play you for a fool. I want to give you the truth. He's cooking a dream meal, and I'm excited about it. So, back at the restaurant, Scarlet greets the critic, which is played by Oliver Platt, and leads him to his table. She's a polite professional assistant again, which 
ironically, is exactly how Favs used her for most of Iron Man 2. And if you've heard that podcast, you'll know that while I love the Black Widow character and he sowed some seeds there and she had a lot of potential, I don't think he really knew how to use Scarlet. In fact, I think he was almost scared of working with Scarlet. That's what it felt to me because the direction with her seemed really timid. Like, he was too smitten by her to... to take risks or give her any opportunities to really do things and to be a breakout role. So Oliver Platt, the critic, he can't believe he's getting served the same shit again. Did he come back for all this? He questions it with Scarlett, who remains polite and professional, but when he asks her a direct question, when she finally gets a chance to stall an act to make up an excuse, it's Dustin Hoffman who intervenes from out of nowhere and he does all the heavy lifting instead. Platt starts Twitter taunting Favs from the table. Scarlet gets on the phone to call Favs, uh, but really has zero agency. She's all flustered. She doesn't know what she's doing. He orders her. In fact, he yells at her to go back and to keep stalling Oliver Platt. But before she can, before we see that scene, Favs seems to magically teleport in through the door and lets the critic have it while Scarlet watches silently in the background. And this scene is the typical, you're a heartless critic, you don't know how hard we work, the sacrifices we made, etc. Which is, you know, the artist crying out at all critics. If we're talking, is this food a film metaphor? Is this John Favreau screaming out at all the critics, considering critics have bashed his last couple of films? I'd say probably, I think most writers have this in them, do this scene at some point. It's a common scene. I think it was done better and written better with Michael Keaton in Birdman more recently. And this scene suddenly segues into us watching it on YouTube where it's going viral. And in a bar, Favs, Bobby and Leguizamo, they have a big love fest in the bar while Scarlet, of course, silently watches. And then we're back to Scarlet and Fab sitting outside, smoking in the car park, probably shot the exact same night as they shot the other bits. I'm sure she only was on this film for a day or two. And they're not talking about her, and they're not talking about them. They're talking about his future, and she consoles and supports him again. We really know nothing about her at all. She's all, move on, go and do things, Carl, go fix your life. I am a selfless, magical pixie who is giving you permission to patch up your life. Get to know your son. She says, I want you to be happy. You're not happy. You're never going to be happy here. It's all you, 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 you. And then she gives him a motherly hug. She tells him he's the best again. And 47 minutes in, she disappears from the film. That's it. No more Scarlet. So what else happens in this film? Well, Robert Downey Jr. gives him a food truck and he drives around the country selling food. He bonds with his son. His son promotes all their adventures on the internet through social media. He patches things up with the critic who decides that his new food that he's cooking with heart from the food van is good. The critic agrees to go into a partnership with him and help pay for his own restaurant, which serves this kind of food. He gets back with his wife. They're all happy and they dance at a party. 
And Scarlet is very conspicuously missing from this party scene when everybody comes back together and everybody's happy. I'm a big part of your life, Favs. I want you to follow your dreams, but I'm not coming to your fucking party. And as I said at the beginning, you know, Robert Downey Jr., he's also really a cameo here. He's got the same, if not less, time than Scarlet. But the difference is that he does bring a lot more personality to his role. He has funny lines and quirks and weird bits of business, which are very RDJ. Like, it feels like him being Tony Stark or himself or whatever. They're things that aren't a big stretch for him. But at the same time, he's injecting himself into the role. And I can't imagine the role happening. Like, it's so him that I can't imagine that happening without him having input, without him saying, I'll do the film, but I want to do this. Let's try this. How about I say this? It feels like he has added something himself. And I really don't feel that Scarlet's character of Molly has had that opportunity. Whether Scarlet's been too shy, whether she's too busy, I don't know. But she just sort of comes along for the ride. It seems more about her having the opportunity to catch up with Favs for a couple of days than it is to play any sort of significant role in this film. Let's sum this up with an exercise. Let's do a little bit of a thought exercise here, a hypothetical exercise. Imagine... Same script, but instead of Scarlett Johansson, Meryl Streep plays Molly. Now, okay, I know suddenly there's this age thing. Favs is 50, okay? He's 20 years older than Scarlett. Meryl Streep is 65, so she's 15 years older than Favs. So she is closer to Favs' age than Scarlett is. Now, unfortunately, we live in a society where... We go, what? A 50-year-old man interested in a 65-year-old woman? Get out of town. No one wants to see that on the big screen. All those wrinkles, it's going to look like a pug playing the accordion. But forget about age. Forget about the fact that Scarlett's younger or Meryl Streep's older or where Fab fits in. Forget about all of that. Just think about Meryl Streep as an A-list Hollywood actor. I mean, Dustin Hoffman has a relatively small role in this film. Let's say Meryl Streep does as well. She's this career hostess. She loves the restaurant. She knows all about this stuff. And she's had a romance with Favreau. Now, if you went to see this film knowing that Meryl Streep was in it, and all Meryl Streep did in her 10 minutes of screen time was say things like, Oh, you're the best chef I know. You're the best. You should do what you want to do. I'm here for your Favs. I'm feeling all the things that you are. Let's talk about you some more. And she didn't have any funny lines. She didn't have any character quirks or anything like that. She didn't have anything. Like, we didn't know about her hopes or dreams or aspirations or their backstory, anything like that. She really just came in, said, Favs, you are a top bloke, and then ate a plate of pasta. You'd be like, what a fucking waste of Meryl Streep. You got Meryl Streep in? To do that, you know she's an actor, right? Was that fulfilling for Meryl Streep? Why did Meryl Streep do that? Okay, Scarlett's 35 years younger than Meryl Streep, but should she be treated any differently? Especially, like, this late in her career? I find it kind of strange. I think, you know, we always talk, why was she cast? Or why did she do the film? This was a favour to a friend, I'm sure. That's what this feels like. 
This is Scarlett going, I like working with John Favreau. It's only a couple of days. I can fit it into my schedule. Sure, I'd love to come in and hang out with you. I 100% understand that, but I just think, fuck Favs, like, find more of a reason to be there. Embrace the fact that she's coming in and give her a character. Give her more to work with. This was his second chance after Iron Man 2, and he still has absolutely no idea what to do with her. And that's frustrating. Also, imagine, like, if Scarlet does have the kind of career Meryl Streep has, and imagine if Scarlet is still starring in movies when she's 65. It's 35 more years of me doing this show. When those episodes come out, I'll be like 74. I'll be like, I think this film is trying to steal my medication. I won't know what the fuck is going on. If you think that I don't know what's going on now, you just wait for the year 2050. Those are going to be some crazy podcasts. So in conclusion, I think I've already concluded. I think I've already given you all my thoughts. You know, after I first saw this film, my one-sentence review on Twitter was, was something along the lines of, Chef is about a guy played by John Favreau who bangs both Scarlett Johansson and Sofia Vergara, but doesn't find happiness until he fills a van full of meat and cheese. I said that at the beginning. This is a film for him. It may not be relatable to all of us, but uh, it is a good watch. Like, what he did to Scarlett aside... It's a nice, easy, and above all, feel-good film. And I don't think that anybody should really ever be raked over the coals for doing what they love. So if they all had fun, bless them. Scarlet did four movies last year, and the other three were great roles. So we can't really begrudge her a couple of afternoons of work. A little bit of housekeeping, minor things, scarcabulary. I think we should add JGL'd into the vocabulary. That's uh, when a writer, director, actor casts you as their love interest so that they can legitimately manhandle you for as many takes as it takes. I thought Scarlett was going to get JGL'd this time, but she didn't, which is good, and that's a good thing for Favs, unlike uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt who the JGL is named after. In her three greatest feats, well, this is simple. One, she poured wine. Two, she ate pasta. Three, she got paid more than minimum wage to pour wine and drink pasta. A lot of real people out there working in restaurants across America who cannot say the same. Speaking of America, next time, can you believe it? We're doing Captain America colon the Winter Soldier. Cap 2, although they never officially called it that. And we're going to see Black Widow continue to evolve, which is very exciting because I really do love where they're taking that character, including in Age of Ultron. So if you had a problem with that, fuck ya. And forgetting that I was just rude to those people who very graciously take the time to listen... Thank you so much for listening. Please listen to the other shows. Every Monday is FP Cast, where we talk about pop culture news and we review films for the week. Tuesdays is the Book Was Better podcast, where we read a shitty novelization with a guest and we make fun of it. You can find both those shows at fruitlesspursuits.com and also geekvision.tv. You'll find links to our Facebook discussion page where you can come and talk about this show and the others. 
We do have listeners of this show that come and talk about it in those pages now. So if you're one of those few people, come and join us. And if you're a super fan, don't forget patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash fruitless pursuits for two to five dollars a month. You can subscribe to us, support us. And uh, for those people paying five or more, you get bonus content as well. Plus our absolute eternal gratitude for going that extra step, making us feel loved and supporting these shows that are consuming our lives. You're all fantastic. I'd let you work in my kitchen any day. I'd put my buns in your ovens. I'm counting off the days until I see you again and we talk about The Winter Soldier. Catch you soon. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.